0: I want to know how many cases of beer per 60 most round one champions do enjoy, because this is something like, I feel like other teams just don't report on it. So we don't know. So I don't know how much of well, other thing teams this don't need
1: am... it in front of reporters. Like that was the thing too. Like you're, if Chris that, okay. is seeing it, it's not like he was like doing investigative reporting, although he's very good <laughs> at that, but like, come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> investigative reporting on how many beers. Um, that's my beat. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking amazing.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan, and I am joined by someone who I never dreamed would have a lot of free time, but just in time for a trip planned to some sun. Sarah yes, so much fun! Yay. I think I'm having a mental breakdown. I'm going to Miami
2: on Thursday that the fun never stops. And then I'm going to where else? I don't even know. There's a lot going on. I would like one day of rest, but that will come eventually. Everyone's around. What the hell? Like what I is going on? get to on? say your
1: name. This is how bad it is. It's Sarah oh. Sibian, ladies and gentlemen. Sarah oh. Sivian.
2: <laughs> well, I'm hanging by a thread, but those are fun podcast days. <laughs>
1: and of course we would not be who we are as too many men without the machine of previews although I texted her and our good friend Dom Lushishan yesterday and said we're in a fight now uh and that is the amazing the brilliant I don't know am I supposed to say you well you don't have a lot of free time regardless (laughs) but one of your teams has a lot of free time uh Shana Goldman Shana say (laughs) hi 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 Good job, Shayna. Thank you. Nice work. All right. My friends, we have a ton to do. too early. Here we go. Too early. Stop. Uh, My friends, we are lucky enough that we um, have been able to con our wonderful producer, Jeremy Taché, to let us record Tuesday morning. So we do have for you a recap of all of the round one series. We're going to recap today. We're going to preview in our Thursday episode, so stay tuned for that. But there's so much hockey to discuss. We wanted to take a look back before we take a look forward. And if you're wondering about our thoughts on teams offseason, that's coming too. But you know that there's like 8,000 games still happening, so we've got to measure out our time and our brain cells. We only have so many. So here we go. Before we get into the playoff recap, Sarah, a little bit of joy for you. It's your favorite segment. What time is it? Bit News. News. Bit. O news. We're going to touch on one thing very quickly, and that is that the flames extinguished a lot of leadership since their season ended. Uh, the GM already leaving, um, not continuing on with the organization. And then just a few days ago, as we record, Daryl Sutter is out As head coach uh, with, I believe, two years left remaining on his contract. Shane is nodding or not nodding. We'll see. I think
0: it's it's like the contract kicks in for next year, the extension, right? Yes. Yes, that's it.
1: Perfect. Good planning, Flames. Um, They're the Flames. Uh, But Daryl Sutter is out um, after what looked to be a promising season for the team. Um, He comes out and admonishes or disrespects many believed, including myself, um, a rookie in his debut, Pelletier. And it's ironic, although I don't know how directly they are actually tied. Ever since then, uh, the Flames were just in a downfall. So uh, your thoughts, Sarah, on Daryl Sutter finally being out in Calgary?
2: Um, I mean, I thought comments from some of the players after the fact were interesting, like when they were talking about the situation with the rookie, that he was just disrespectful to him in the press conference. And people would say that's just Daryl. But the fact that the guys in the room had to say no like you did a great job just shows like come on I I think for better or for worse sometimes teams have like a they need to have a unified like stance against not against the bad media like now this isn't like the White House but like they have a unified stance in front of the media not against it and When the coach goes against that, that's just like a weird locker room dynamic. And you could tell they were a disappointment this season. So I think it's the right call.
1: Shana, what were your thoughts? There was a lot of talk, too, about the start. Obviously, Calgary underwent a lot of roster change this offseason. But even some of the talent that they retained and then brought in, not performing up to expectations. Was this the right move for Calgary? And can this roster, or at least parts of it, bounce back?
0: Yeah. Like you always risk the team looking different when you make as many changes as the flames did. And if they got off to a rough start and then found their footing in a different way, or they started playing and it was clear, like they need X, this is what's missing. I think it would be a different conversation, but that wasn't the case. You could just see a coach that didn't have many answers. He, you know, doesn't have an innovative approach. Shocker. Like This is what happens when you constantly recycle coaches. It's not surprising when the same things happen. And you could just see the defensive system that he had, weigh him down, and he didn't have answers for them offensively. So they shouldn't have been this bad, despite all the changes. So um, hopefully they look for someone a little bit different here because the outcome's not surprising. I think it just was a little surprising it took this long. I felt like they were the perfect candidate for a midseason coaching change because they have so much invested in this year
1: and the next two. Well, it will be interesting to see what happens in Calgary. A lot of leadership changes, but there is still hockey being played. And I don't know about you guys. I thought that particularly this past weekend, although round one, in my opinion, ended with a little bit of a dud of a game, um, just some tremendous, tremendous hockey, a lot of shocks, particularly on Sunday. Um, But there was one big shock. And we have to start with this series because it was legitimately interesting. Shana, what time is it? How does this affect the Leafs? I, was so I knew we were
0: mad. going with it first. It took me a second. And then I was like, ah, yeah, okay. It, of course it
2: always sorry. ends up affecting the Leafs, even when it's not yeah. directly about them.
0: Every other <laughs> series, somehow, the Seattle series affected the Leafs. The <laughs> Bruins series affected the Leafs. Like, it's fucking wild how every... <laughs> and sometimes there was, like, legit stats to back no. it up. But, like, the vibes of, like, it must...
2: Of course. (laughs) Well, we were walking into the locker room of the Bruins um, post game game seven interviews, which were obviously delightful. And one of the best Bruins reporters looked at me and goes, but how does this affect the Leafs? And it was a very somber uh, moment. And I just was trying so hard not to laugh.
1: We love it. We love it. Um, but yes, my friends, it is true. Toronto has gotten the proverbial monkey off their back. Uh, they were Tampa Bay was not able to come back from a three, one deficit in the series and Toronto wins it in overtime in Tampa in game six. Uh, they will advance. They will be playing the Florida Panthers aforementioned by Sarah Sivian, um, but they did it. Yay listen, here's what I'm going to say about this. I'm all for celebrating. I get that this is a big deal. I get that there were 11 opportunities prior to this moment for Toronto to win a series and it hasn't happened. And so I understand, but I feel like the celebration is a little bit out of control now. People like they're like reporting on the amount of beer being taken into the locker room and all this, like it's literally one round. I don't know. Am I taking it too far, Sarah? Are they allowed to have joy and plan mini parades through the streets of Toronto? You
2: know what? Life is really fucking short and bad at times. You got to really appreciate the good moments. I'm kind of with them on this one, especially if it was anywhere else. Maybe like act like you've been there before, but they literally have not been there before. (laughs) And it's Toronto. And you know how. Crazy the fans are and crazy the media is so it's just I think everyone is a lot especially like I don't know just covering the Bruins you just you, you really don't realize sometimes how this can be over in a second
1: so I kind of like the celebrations for once all right we'll allow it Shayna, we've I've dissed the celebrations Sarah's pro them did the right team win this series on the ice. A lot of the underlying numbers, if we look at them, do go in favor of Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah. First of all, I want to know how many cases of beer per 60 most round one champions do enjoy, because this is something like, I feel like other teams just don't report on it. So we don't know. So I don't know how much of Well, other teams this don't is, but parade
1: I it in front of reporters. Like that was the thing too. Like you're if Chris that, Johnson okay. is seeing it, it's not like he was like doing investigative reporting, although he's very good <laughs> at that, but like, come on. <laughs> Investigate
0: reporting on how many beers. Um, That's my beat. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Did they deserve to win the series? Yes and no. Going into the series, they were the stronger team. Um, once the series started, they had some very good games. They also had some really shitty games where the Lightning were outright the better team. And I, I think that has to be like talked about. They had some like really good neutral zone plays to slow down the Leafs and to dominate play. But at the end of the day, if you don't dominate play for 60 minutes and you fall apart and say, I don't know the last 10 minutes of the game and allow a 4 1 comeback, like I can't look at it and go, well, the Leafs weren't the better team that game. They don't deserve the win. They did. So I think that. It, it, it was kind of like your typical chaotic hockey series. They they did what they had to do to win the game. They did things that we didn't expect them to do to win games. They weren't always the better team that were dominating and then just playing on their heels. And look, someone came back and they didn't have a minute, you know, didn't have it in them to push back at all. Like that wasn't the case with this team. So I think that they won in different ways than we expect. But like, it does it does not matter if you're the better team. It, it's a series. Like, you know, the results are what's going to happen. It's not like it was like, oh, the penalties were the pro- everything's the problem right it's the same as any other fucking series but we're gonna like overanalyze it because it's the Leafs and people want to be like oh this is the series they win shut up
1: they won it's over well I will report back because I am that person I kept track of our predictions for every single series and I'm awarding points if you pick the right team you get one point and if you pick the right number of games for the series to be decided you get two points Sarah picked Toronto in four, so she gets one point. (laughs) Shayna and I both picked Tampa Bay, and Shayna had seven, I had six. So right now, Sarah is in the lead one to nothing over the both of us. All right, guys, well, let's go to another series in the East that ended with six games and that is the islanders and carolina i did not like how the islanders uh, ended the series i didn't like the way they were playing i didn't like the attitude they were bringing to the ice we had already talked about how this series was just becoming sad uh, based on the injuries and and the style of play that was happening Um, freddie anderson does get a start in the final game of the series sarah you don't cover the canes anymore but you know a lot about this team Are you happy for Carolina? What did you think about their ability to overcome a lot of losses on their roster?
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of losses on their roster with the star players, like you said, and a lot of tussling. And I think in the past, a big criticism of the Canes has been that they don't play like a tough playoff style of hockey. So especially somebody like Sebastian Ajo to get that play where like he got hit in the face with the puck and then a few maybe shifts or minutes, whatever later scored a goal. I think that showed like a leadership thing from him that has been kind of needing to happen. This was not fun by any means, but devil's canes will be so much more fun. We'll talk about that later, but just the speed and the style of plays are very similar to me. So I think that'll be more fun. And they got through the tough shit to get through two more enjoyable hockey.
1: Dana, what did you think and how worrisome is it for Carolina given what they had to give to get through this series?
0: Yeah, I think like this series I was a little bit more excited for and it didn't live up to expectations. I think the last game of the series was a little bit more exciting though, like it felt like the last two games. And I think it's because you saw like an ounce of life from the Islanders. Um for the Canes, it's concerning how much they had to give like we talk about their system and how anybody can step in, and that's obviously been the case for a while, and that's still true right now. Um, like, the system is very good. Anyone can step up in it, and you see the results. And then you have the star power that we all talk that they're missing from guys like Sebastian Ajo and, you know, Jacob Slavin and Brent Burns stepping up in, like, the big moments right there. So, you know, like, credit to the Canes for gutting it out in the end, uh, especially against the goalie like Sorokin, the team that doesn't have finish, goes against one of the best goalies, and he was very good in game six and seven, uh, five and six when it mattered. But like for the Islanders, I look at it and I'm legitimately concerned if I'm them because you look at the age of their core of the players, what they're doing and the contract to Bo Horvat already. It's like not surprising the player who had a career year in shooting dries up and you can see the big difference. So but like the, the concern for the playoffs, too, it's not just like, oh, the, the scoring dried up like his rate of shots was way down, even from, you know, the Canucks, it was one rate. It went down when we went to the Islanders. And in the playoffs, it was, like, even lower. Like, to me, that's concerning. And they signed up to an eight-year contract. It's like, who could have seen that coming
1: in the worst way? Well, my friends, let's go to the record books here and see both Sarah and I picked Carolina. Shayna picked the Islanders. Shayna, you're not doing well so far. And <laughs> while, we, while Sarah and I both picked the right team, I'm the only one that picked the right number of games. Ooh,
2: so, so there we go. What did I say, in seven or six?
1: You, you said five. Oh, So there you go. All right. Uh, We just mentioned uh, who Carolina's opponent is going to be. And that is the new Jersey devils who come raging back. And in my opinion, flat out embarrass the Rangers in game seven to take the series and advance on. Um, I was traveling yesterday. So I was only able to watch this game without sound and while I was eating dinner. So my attention was a little bit distracted. Um, But Shayna, you were watching this series very closely. We'll we'll talk about the hockey in a little bit, but the impact to the Rangers, talk was that the pressure was on them. Did the Rangers underperform or is this what the Rangers have been all along?
0: No, I think the Rangers underperform. Like if you go through the regular season, the Devils were the better five on five team. The Devils were the favorite in this series for a reason. The Rangers had the power play and the goaltending to kind of change that a little bit, but like, at the end of the day, the devils were the favorite. And when they played to their strengths, they were the better team, but the pressures on the Rangers, because they had the splashy deadline and they did this last year, right? Like it's all about moving forward. Um, The way that they lost though, was embarrassing. Not that they couldn't manage the devil's speed. I think everybody could see when the Rangers acquired Patrick Kane and Tarasenko, even like speed was not in their favor. Right. And against this matchup, like you probably wanted that you have a little bit more speed. Um, but it just feels like the way that they couldn't adjust the devils every single time they want a game adjusted and the Rangers couldn't, that's what I think is the most disappointing. Like not that, Oh, this didn't work out. It's that they had no answers. And this was so similar to last year. They had no answers for their opponent. So Jacob Truba hits Sidney Crosby takes them out of the series. They have a chance. And then they finally make a line change or two. And look what happens. It's like the opposite this year. They <laughs> hit someone too late and, had nothing going for them because they couldn't adapt and the devils just played with their strengths and it's super clear what they can do when
1: they're at full speed
2: trooper could have Sarah. at least targeted somebody that was doing anything am i right oh, oh. oh
1: that that hit was not good i know um, i know
2: and shana you wrote such a good story about it about like how yeah if that is legal then
0: it's time to talk about changing the rules totally agree check yeah. it out theathletic.com wow thank you no it's mm-hmm. if I think and here's the thing that has to be like I didn't read I'm not reading the comments I'm not reading the responses because I've had enough already people are like well they shook hands after I don't give a shit that like, Timo Meyer and Jacob Truba shook hands it would be more dramatic if they didn't and then everyone would go well Timo Meyer saw that would be the conversation right mm-hmm. the fact is There's nothing wrong with hitting to separate a player from the puck within like three seconds. You see Trouba get off the bench, see that play developing, go right into it and line up a hit. That's what he was doing. Two players were covering Meyer at that time. And if he were to separate hit with the chest, the shoulder, separate him from the puck. So someone like Barkley Goudreau, who I think is there, could scoop up the puck and go the other direction. That's one thing. That wasn't what happened here. Like the intent, the context should matter. Like, and to say the rules are fine because it says that Timo Meyer was vulnerable because he was leaning. Let's blame him for the hit. Like, it's just so crazy to me, like the discourse that
1: comes from this. Like, what are we talking about? Sarah, were you impressed with the Devils? Did they, what did they do in your mind to win this series?
2: Yeah, other than the game six, I thought at the beginning, you could just see this was a very young team with young stars that were kind of so fat like Bambi, right? Like you're so fast, but you're just kind of like running around. And I think, once they got their <laughs> composure, it was all over. And the five-on-five five play especially, too, it was just like they took that over completely. And the, the problem is that we keep talking about is when you are in a playoff series, you get to scheme and do all the scouting on your opponent, right? So you scout their power play, and then games three and seven, the power play, like, three through seven, drastically decreased for the Rangers. And it's like I was thinking about the I wrote about it, too, I guess. I'm, like, all over the league now. But, like, um Kane isn't the reason they lost and Tarasenko isn't the reason they lost, but they are the reason they didn't win. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, I don't think teams should stray away from big splashes at the deadline, but I think you have to look at the way playoff hockey is changing. And it's just like the truba hit was so emblematic of everything that the Rangers were doing wrong. It's like they're playing this heavy style that isn't working against this fast team at five on five and the patience that, the Devils had. And I mean, Akira Schmidt, like, I mean, he comes in and has two shutouts. He is a rookie. Like, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? Where it's like, you don't feel the pressure because you don't really even know what's going on. He came from the USHL. I just think that's hilarious and really impressive. So let's see what happens with him in round two.
0: All right. I add uh, two, like you said, with the Devils' patience, like, I think that's so impressive because they're the young, young inexperienced team that's trying to play a different way from what we know to be the most successful in the playoffs, like the heavy hockey style. And I like that they pushed against it. It. I kind of thought that they would start that way and then get stuck and panic. And it was the opposite. They came into the series and like completely got away from that and just settled down for game three. And we're like, wait, this is how we were successful year, and this is how we're going to do it. So that is, like I think, the most impressive aspect of it. Meanwhile, the more experienced team that was in the devil's position last year is the one that completely changed their, like they don't, they don't need to be a heavy team to be successful. Like that's not, you know, their style. When you bring in players like Tarasenko and Kane, that's not it. And I think the issue with Kane too, is like that attraction to big names. When Tarasenko was like the player that actually answered the needs versus Kane, yes. who it's you're on a team already that you have too many players to hold onto the puck. They don't shoot the puck enough. And instead they're like forcing things that don't need to happen. Like, it's just so mind boggling people are, like, well, don't blame Kane. He, he was injured. Like, no, you blame management for, Going for a player they needed was injured and didn't match stylistically for what they needed.
1: Well, this sets up our next series perfectly. But before we move on, let's go to the scoreboard, Shayna. You,
0: the- I don't even want to. You, I, the- I the- tried. Watch the game. <laughs> My ass, like you pick
1: the Shayna picked the Rangers in seven. Sarah and Allison picked the Devils in seven. Let's go. Um Shana, I'm not surprised. Don't have a point right but-
0: now. But no, I don't have a point. I really don't. I'm not surprised the Devils won. I'm just surprised they started bad and got better versus the other one. Like, it just, sure.
1: So we talked about a team that was maybe young and maybe their inexperience, their lack of pressure helped them. Some might argue that that was also the case in our final series in the East. And that was the dramatic upset in seven games of Florida, by Florida, of the Boston ruins. Um, There are so many narratives here. Apparently all you need is Sergei Bobrovsky if you want to upset the president's trophy winner. Um, He did it to Tampa Bay in 2019 and here he does it to Boston in 2023. There's that narrative. There's the narrative of the goaltending um, reports coming out after the series is over that Allmark was in fact Um, significantly injured in terms of pain and Swayman has to come in, but not until game seven, there's the Matthew Kachuk narrative. There's so much going on. There's all kinds of angles to talk about here. I felt like to the point of pressure in game seven, in particular, Boston didn't look like themselves at all. They couldn't complete a pass. They weren't asserting their game. I was just shocked that that was how they went out. And honestly, a little disappointed um, on a personal level. I would have loved Nick Felino to uh, have a run at the Cup. And of course, we're all now curious if Patrice Bergeron will be coming back to the NHL at all. Sarah, you were covering this series. You were covering this team. What elements went into, was this an issue? Let me reframe. Was this an issue of Florida winning the series or did Boston give it up and make themselves lose?
2: Boston gave it up, but the Panthers took it. So they it's not like I think a lot of the time throughout the regular season, too, even when the Bruins would make a mistake, another team just like wouldn't be quick enough to capitalize on it. But the Panthers said, nope, we're here. We're playing desperate hockey. And both things were at work. But like, I'm honestly still trying to unpack how this could happen. they chose to play their worst seven games during round one of the playoffs, and they had never won lost more than three or three games at all at home in a row until the playoffs like i don't i like when i say that i'm not a fan of any team and that i'm covering games for like the most exciting outcome or whatever i definitely i mean that even though if people don't believe me it's true but i have to admit i was a little sad seeing bergeron and Marchand crying because that is not how it should go out for bergeron he was playing with a herniated disc in his back. You wonder about the personnel and the decisions to play him during the last regular season game, but he was in Montreal and his dad has cancer, and maybe he wanted to play one last time in front of his dad. Um, You worry wonder about playing him at all throughout this series. If it was like a serious injury, I mean, he only had one goal, but he wasn't like a problem, but then you seriously wonder about the all Mark stuff that's coming up. Um, Swayman was also one of the best goalies in the league. He was definitely the best backup goalie in the league, and he was there all along. He had a pretty good game seven, all things considered, because of the fucking turnovers that I had never seen this team do before. Charlie McAvoy had this worst game of the season, game seven. Um, Hampus Lindholm had a horrible series. I'm starting to sound like Boston Radio right now because I'm just like, it was just so baffling and confusing how bad – and can like the plays that they made where it was like, I don't understand what happened, but it comes down to Almark misfiring on that game five play that could have been the difference. Um, Marshand not closing it out and over and right before the buzzer beater. Um there's just these big consequential moments that would have happened to this Bruins team in any other universe, but it was just like really confusing still I'm still unpacking it
1: Dana without talking data and numbers how important was Matthew Kachuk and how much do you believe that the underdog no one believes in us uh, mentality contributed to Florida being able to win this series
0: no I think that the impact of Matthew Kachuk was so clear like that locker room speech like I know everyone's gonna make like a ton of it but like rightfully so to rally the team and be like we're coming back here like we're not finished yet it doesn't matter it's important to like put everything in perspective of like, it doesn't matter who you're going up against in round one. It doesn't matter if this was a historic team. It doesn't matter if it was the worst team. You have to approach it like you have a chance, right? And I think that was so important because this is a player too, who wasn't just speaking, you know, like speaking and not doing. He was someone that was all around in every game, scoring opportunities, um, passing, good play driving and, and mixing it up and bringing the energy. And it seemed like, the ultimate teammate too. So I think you put all that together. and I think that's really important because like we saw the opposite happen in Florida last year, right? Like it felt like they were missing someone to really step up and be like, Hey, we need to, we need to pull it together right now and we're going to fucking win this year. It doesn't matter if the deck is stacked against us because we're going against the Tampa Bay lightning. So it was nice to see them get that. And from, you know, a rising star uh, in the league who had such a big year himself
2: you do have to hand it to him and like, you have to hand it to the Panthers for taking it. And what he was saying too, at the end, he said, I think everybody in the world would consider this one of the biggest upsets of all time, except for everybody in that locker room. I think Paul Maurice, I got to not know him, but like interview him a little bit during this series. And I was just like, I love this guy. Like, I don't know. Like, I was not expecting to, like, fall in love with him. I just thought he was hilarious. I can understand why people would want to play for him. Maybe he is not the best X's and O's, but, like, whatever it is, I could understand why a team coached by him would have a comeback. And I know, like, he's been around so long that he's had – really bad seasons and everything like that but like i get why he keeps getting hired okay and i like he's charming me whatever i get it i'm, I'm this is why i'm not a gm if someone would like tell a joke i feel like you're in <laughs> <laughs> but can we talk about your boy carter for Hagee? can we talk about uh montour montour, montour. oh my montour, god yeah. what a everybody difference. everybody's talking about Kachuk and rightfully so especially with like the game seven guarantee but Montour was my favorite player of that series. It's
1: yeah. Gonna be, I, so it's gonna know. be interesting to see, you know, how this shakes out because Florida has definitely had some stars pop. And I mean, imagine if Barca you know, and and to your point, Paul Maurice came out and basically gave Barkoff room by saying he was sick at the start of the series, right? So, yeah. like, imagine if he starts to pop off too. Um, friends, listeners, we were all wrong. We all were crappy on Paul Maurice. We all were crappy on the Panthers' chances. We didn't think they were even going to make the postseason. And here we are. Uh, none of us. Got none of us. None of us got points. We all. I the
0: Cup final. I bet on them because of her. I'm very happy. That was my. <laughs> I bet on them twice, not even realizing. I think I did once not, and I went to cancel the bet to be like, oh, let me parlay because the odds weren't even that good. So I ended up winning two bets because of it. Thanks, Duke. She's the only dog still in it.
1: <laughs> so it's going to be very, very interesting to uh, see how this now stacks up against Toronto. Those are going to be your two matchups in the East. And again, that's we'll going to be
0: so fun. And we're going to talk about narratives, that. I can't wait. I'm
2: sad. It's not fun. I was not ready to like give up covering a playoff series. I'm just like, we we're going to go you to Miami now.
0: <laughs> get back from Miami. Get to New Jersey. Let's go. Be back I'll for game three. I'll tell you, Canes fans,
2: if... You make the ECF, I'll be there.
1: There you go. We love to see that. The Saracen Guarantee.
0: Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook?
1: (laughs) Yep,
0: it's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard, and I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere.
1: Stop playing. What? Get out of here.
0: Huh?
2: Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming
0: machine, a new kind of Chromebook.
1: This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit chevy.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take your business to the next level. Shopify is the commerce platform that makes it easy to show up and sell exactly the way you want to. No need to code or design. Sign up for your $1 per month trial period today. Visit shopify.com slash offer 23 to get started. Let's move on over to the West. We had four series there. Um, You guys, it never got any better, but Dallas did end up beating Minnesota. Uh, Dallas advances to me the only interesting things to come out of this series ending were, A, yay, it's finally over. Uh, B, I thought Minnesota was another team that just went out horribly. Um, not a great way to end To sh- for that to be your last effort in your final fight. Um, and then, of course, it does also appear um, as game one of round two is about to start. But uh, this does relate to the end of round one. Joe Pavelski appears to be back after taking that big hit in game one Sarah, did anything interest you about this series?
2: Yeah, no. After we were right about this news fest and people after game one were like, you guys were shitting on this. No, it got progressively more and more boring. But no, I really started to like the storylines emerging out of Dallas. Like Pavelski is getting better. Is he going to be good to go?
1: Yeah, supposedly. We'll see. Okay,
2: so that'll be exciting. I'm loving the resurgence of Tyler Sagan. He said, you know what? Maybe the Bruins traded me. Look at me now on the better Dallas team. Oh my god, that makes me sick to my stomach. But um, yeah, he and Jamie Ben loving that resurgence. Jamie Ben said trans rights, and then all these good things started happening to him. So good for him. And obviously, Jason Robertson emerging emerging as a star. Rupe is rupe-ing, Rupe. Rupe
1: is Rupe. Yes.
2: And Ottinger is Odenier, and I'm here for it.
1: Rupe hints leading all skaters in points uh, in the postseason. I do believe that's correct. I wrote something in my preview to that effect. He's a points per sixty. I know for sure is high. Uh, Shana, what narratives stood out to you from Minnesota and Dallas?
0: Um, it's just you know, it like I hate the Minnesota is boring because I don't really like them. But that was that was not good. That was there was nothing good about that series, and it feels like a lot of it stems from. Game two, I think they were always kind of destined to lose, right? Like, they were the worst team in this matchup because you you have two teams so closely matched and then you get to the offense and it's like, here's your giant disparity at even strength. But the fact that they went for flurry in game two, I think just kind of ruined the rhythm and gave the Stars the opening that the Wild didn't need them to get. Um, And I don't want to shit all over Marc-Andre flurry because, like, the team was terrible, but it was just such a questionable decision there and it feels like the Wild officially started playing from behind and couldn't ever come back from that. And it's unfortunate, but, like, the injuries were the problem and joel erickson is out here
1: one of the a most important fibula. Players. insane yeah. don't do that don't is, do that you know
0: he was like it didn't really work i'm like, like well, no he are you kidding you tried to play and they said there was a chance he'd be available if the series went long, which i don't understand how no. and they threw him in way too early everyone was legitimately shocked i get that he's one of your most important players and this is why you should have done something to your roster like this was their year to do something because of all the cap space. They don't have it anymore, and they're seriously in trouble. But, like, you, you play the man with the broken fibula and go, this is going to work, and then they put themselves shorthanded.
1: Yeah, Just well, gone. and that's – they the, the Dallas Stars had the second most power play goals in the postseason. Yep. Only to Boston in one less game. nine, right? And they had Edmonton. nine, tied with Edmonton, and it, they had the highest of all their goals that they scored, highest percentage of any team in the postseason so far to have their goals come from power play goals.
0: Yeah, what the, a w- The Wild penalty kill fell apart, and a lot of it's Eric Sinek. But then you go into like the game where Marcus Foligno got himself thrown out in the front. He is yep. one of their best penalty kill. Eric is one of the best yeah. two way penalty killers. And Felino is one of the best defensive penalty killers on that team. You yep. know it's a problem. you get yourself thrown out. like what yep. what are we thinking? Like that's where you just need someone to settle you down and like manage the bench a little bit more and it just feels like it wasn't happening.
1: So Dallas is going to advance uh just as all three of us predicted. So points go to all. Shayna finally gets a point. I get a point. You get one Shana's point. On the board. But, but Sarah and Allison both correctly predicted the number of games at six. But so I have seven. Each- yes, you had seven. I gave the Wild too much credit. You did, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so Dallas Advances in Dallas will be playing the Seattle Kraken, um, who we will talk about in a bit. But there was one other series that did not go... as. Uh, there were two other that did not go seven. We go in order of games. So let's talk... Edmonton Kings, uh, a final deciding game in which goaltending seemed to be optional. Um, although people were crapping on both of them at some point. They both had some pretty incredible things. Edmonton Skinner has his stick actually break on an attempted clear, which leads to a goal against uh Eunice Corposalo. Literally is trying to empty the net so that his team can skate with six and races back to make a save. It was pretty insane. But in the end, America's team, the Edmonton Oilers, do advance to round two in a replay of last season's postseason. Again, Sarah, how good does Edmonton look right now? And were you disappointed that LA couldn't push this series even a little bit longer?
2: Yeah, I have to give them credit. I think they look way better than they did last year. Like, just more ready. Um, I think that's definitely due to Skinner. Like, I, I think that he gives them kind of a confidence. And I don't know, like... You really just, like, even if the goaltending isn't on paper better, just kind of switching it up, like, with somebody that they actually, like, trust or for whatever reason play well in front of is just very important. Obviously, the improvements on defense stand out too. Um, Just the speed of this team is insane. I mean, I don't know. I expected a little bit more out of the Kings, but I think I was just looking for that fun upset when I knew the Oilers were a better team, and now I'm kind of, like, willing to hand it to them. So I am looking forward to actually respecting them in the
0: second round.
1: Dana, how good was Leon Dreisaitl in this series?
0: Our friend, he was fantastic. Um, He, you know, it's like so interesting too, because they went into the series and they split up Seidel and McDavid to have two different matchups against Kopitar and Denault, which I think is the right move. Uh, During the regular season, they had them together because Seidel struggled. And then by the end of the year, he found his footing. And we see it like in the postseason. but it made sense. They put them together. The line didn't have like amazing numbers. It was them and Evander Kane. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do now. Is it better to separate or keep them together? I think they separate and then they have that option in their back pocket, but the way he played at even strength end on the power play, like we knew he'd be dangerous on the power play. And you could see some of the passes, like how you can't, you, you know that they're going to do this and you just can't stop it. it. It was just like incredible the way he played. And it was so important because so many defensemen, besides like Matthias Eckholm, literally forgot how to play defense through like three yeah. games. So he was like, it's fine. I'll just do offense and do everything to drag us forward. So it was exciting to see because I don't know if anybody brings it in the postseason like he does. Like he might be one of the best playoff performers in like recent history. Um, yes, that's exactly what I meant when it.
2: I said the defense, by the way. Like the, that acquisition was like very just crucial to
0: how they play it's nice to see too like we all shit on the oilers forever and rightfully so in their management and their decisions they handle this deadline better than like the kings and the oilers were two of the most improved teams at the deadline it's unfortunate for the kings that kevin fiala wasn't healthy the entire series i think that would have changed things for them and i give them a lot of credit for where they are and i want to see what they do from here but the oilers legitimately had one of the best Deadlines, like Nick Bukestad was exa- a forward who could take on top competition, another center, a little versatility, great move. And someone like Ekholm, instead of going for players that completely Patrick go against what they need.
1: Going to be interesting. It's also going to be interesting to see what L.A. does do with some of their deadline acquisitions. Are Yunus Corpusalo and Vladislav Gafrikov wearing the same uniform come next season? But we will discuss that part later. Um, perhaps it was wishful thinking. Perhaps it was that we just weren't going to be realistic, Sarah, but you and I both did pick the Kings to come out of this series. Shayna in her lone W over the two of us <laughs> did in fact pick Edmonton, but she said seven games. So that's one point. Yeah. whatever. I you, you have two so far. You're doing great, sweetie.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Mika almost <laughs> led me astray there. Let the record show. She had some really great round. She had the Devils. She had the Kings. She fucking new and beat the other dog. She had the Leafs to
1: the, the Kings though. See, there you go. All right, well, let's talk about Edmonton's opponent, and that is the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, They take out a very lackluster Winnipeg team in just five games, the shortest to go. And it was just kind of an embarrassment of riches for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, They are another team that didn't come out and give a push in the final game of the series. And after the series is over, Rick Bonus comes out and pretty much lays a truth bomb on the media. And, you know, the more I thought about it, everyone's like, like, this is what we want. I want to know why a team didn't win. And if it didn't win because of tangible or intangible reasons, that is what I want to hear. Just as much as I want to hear why something's working, I want to hear why something isn't working. I have zero issue with his comments. Vegas was the better team. Winnipeg didn't look like a team that wanted it, in my opinion. Uh, We'll talk more about the dialogue around this and some great comments that came out of the NBA as well in a future episode. We've got that bookmarked for you. Um, But Sarah, what did you make of this series, the return of Mark Stone, and then how Winnipeg went out?
0: Yeah. Is
2: there anyone more enjoyable to watch in the postseason than Mark Stone? Probably, yeah. But like, I really like to watch him too. Um, I'm glad he's back. I am glad he is back. He's fun for the defensive minded people like me. But I think Rick Bonus was completely accurate in what he said. None of the people that needed to step up stepped up. And part of that is just the way this roster has been miserably constructed. They're just like hanging on to a thread with it, right? Like, it's just like, they need to do a factory reset at this point. Um, I am just kind of sick of it. I know we don't always support some of Bonus's decisions on this podcast, but I do think there is not much he could do here. And I know he's had issues in the past and then teams go on to succeed, but I do think his maybe stubbornness compared adding to everything that was already wrong with this roster and their leadership just like has not been
1: good. Dana, what fed into, in addition to the great Mark Stone, what fed into Vegas' dominance in the series in your mind?
0: Yeah, Mark Stone was really excellent and uh, he matched up a lot against players like Kyle Connor. And it seemed like him and Chandler Stevenson were like dominating play in, minute- in their minutes. I think. They had like 80% of the expected goals, share outscored opponents, like five to one. Like that's what you want to see turning defense into offense and scoring opportunities. And it's nice because they do have that secondary option of, you know, Wild Bill to take and Riley Smith to take on top competition, which allows Jack Eichel's line with um March So Barbasshev to just do their thing. Uh I think that like. They're going to need to like really be ready for the the next series. Like it seems like there's such a difference between the offense of the Jets and the Oilers. So I'm intrigued to see like how it changes. But it just feels like they had the five on five pop. They had the power play scoring that they needed in this series. And power play scoring hasn't always been a strength. And then you have, you know, like two right-handed top pair caliber defensemen and really good goaltending that we didn't see coming. So I think that all contributed to it. And then the other part of it was I think just like a mental readiness for this like that's the thing like the Jets are the team that hold themselves the least accountable out of anybody and they fell apart <laughs> in a way that's not surprising when you look at how their season progressed so like bonus was right the players weren't ready I just kind of look at that and when he says it's the same crap from February it's like yeah well you were coaching them too you guys yeah, would you say that apart. would you say <laughs> they were
1: on autopilot
0: <laughs> oh, oh they were that's that's it that is the perfect way to put it they were on autopilot when they really needed to be more engaged and more ready for this and when you say we're facing the same issues we have before the answer is why weren't those fixed in the regular season so you didn't face that same problem the golden knights were ready to i think adapt to the jets right and come out swinging the jets had no pushback they had the one comeback right but
1: no fuel they flamed out they flamed out all right well, the Jets are are gone and we are going to definitely have fun with their postseason review as well. But there is one more series to mark. The best it, of them oh, all. Oh, and first, oh wait, first, Vegas. We all three pick Vegas. But only I picked five games.
2: Wow! wow. Our West we Coast picks? correspondent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's one more series to pick um, in a su- in a super fun but somewhat controversial by the end seven game series. The upstart Seattle Kraken take the series from the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. It was the first time that both the Presidents Cup and defending Stanley Cup champions. Fell on the same day. Uh, this series, obviously, for me was a ton of fun. You see two rookies score. Uh, Ty Cartier gets called up after Jared McCann gets injured and he scores in his NHL debut. The last player to do that, Kale McCarr. Uh of course we have Andrew Cogliano leaves with a broken neck. Jordan Everly did not receive supplemental punishment for that hit. And in Game 7, Oliver Bjorkstrand, he who scored the game winner for the Calder Cup in Cleveland under head coach Jared Bednar at the time and who scored the series winning goal against Tampa for the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019, scores twice in Game 7 to seal the deal for the Kraken, who will now face the Dallas Stars. Yay, squid. Yeet the fish. I'm obviously biased. Sarah, what impressed you about this series?
2: What fun. What fun. Um, I thought... Just like the high octane, it was just kind of, obviously you have to acknowledge that the Avalanche lost so many man games 100%. to injury. absolutely. And the captain, obviously, he plays a huge role and he wasn't there. Um, then you got Kale McCarr taking uncharacteristic penalties. You just could tell they were off their game a little. Bit. Even when you had like Devon Tabes doing playoff Devon tapes things, it just, they didn't have the juice, but at the same time, a team like that can turn it on. And they did several times throughout. So you have to give the Avalanche, I mean, the Kraken credit for being able to find an identity, right? And push back against that. And it's just, it's kind of like the Devils where the league, they, I mean, the Kraken do have like older veterans that have helped, like Yanni Gord has been really interesting to watch throughout the first round. But I think also just the power of having the young exciting stars in the fast high octane game has kind of shifted in the past few years in the postseason
1: Dana what did you like about this series
0: I like that it just made us think about things differently like I know that it might sound like a lame answer but like the Kraken had 15 unique goal scores once Bjorn Strand had his two goal night like that's something we don't often see in the postseason and something they they were true to what made them successful in the regular season with that like is there more that they need below the surface offensively? Absolutely. Is the power play a problem? Absolutely. But it's just so interesting how they approach it. I do think Jordan Everly should have been suspended for the last game, personally, as much as I like him. And I think I kind of counted them out because I assumed that was going to happen, but you know what assuming does when you think about player safety. Uh, but it was, it was really interesting. It was nice for Philip Grubauer, like, Earlier yeah. in the year, I had to do some of, like, the all-32s for the Kraken. And, then, like, my hot take was that he was going to be the goalie. Because Martin Jones was a starter. He was going to take over a starter and kind of, like, lead the way in the postseason. So I was really excited for him. Like, it was a revenge series. And people were like, well, he didn't leave Colorado on bad terms. Like, it doesn't matter. It's his former team. Yep. He was Absolutely. the difference maker. He was good Absolutely. in, what, five out of seven quality starts. And on mm-hmm. the penalty kill, the way he played, you know, against some of the best shooters in the league – it was so impressive to me because there were minutes where we saw you know McKinnon Ransid and take games over and the Kraken were able to contain that enough and a lot of it's because of Grubauer. So a ton of credit to them and it's going to be interesting to see how that now goes on like can they keep up this way can depth beat scoring uh, star power which in the postseason we know generally isn't the case. Like it just makes for a, it was a fun upset that makes for a lot of things that we can try to learn from from this team, from their approach and You know, we'll see how they adjust on the fly to what went wrong in round one, because there were obviously things that they're going to want to be better.
1: It was definitely a blast. I abstained from picking on this series, but both of you picked Colorado. So no points for you anyway. I did? There's no way.
2: No, I picked the Kraken in seven.
1: No, you did not. You picked the Avalanche. You're lying. (laughs) You picked the Avalanche in seven. Um, Stop the vote. (laughs) And as as a result... Shayna, I apologize. You come in last with three That's points.
2: I, Sarah, t- wait, I picked the crack. You saw my actual post on Gleason Report. I did pick the crack. At okay, seven but there. on this
1: show, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you picked the abs in seven. Um, and you end up with seven points, Sarah. Okay. But I ended up with eight. Mm-hmm.
0: So wow. It, and she didn't uh, even vote on
1: a series. I know. Well, there you go. All right. Huh. We are going to end every this episode as we end every episode. And that is with our favorite game. It is Fuck, Mary Kill. And Sarah, you are first. Your options are three eliminated teams off seasons. And again, we'll go deep on this later in future episodes. But for right now, Fuck, Marry, Kill, the off seasons for Minnesota, the Islanders, the Jets.
2: Do you mean from last season or like what they're going to do now?
1: Yeah, like what this coming off season.
2: Okay. I'm killing Minnesota. They're just seem I don't really know.
1: I don't, I'm gonna They're playing it, again. It's very on brand. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, and I'm going to marry the Jets because I want to know what they're going to do. Like at this point, you got people at the end of next season who everyone's contract is up. Do you just trade everybody? Do you trade hell above No. But like what is going to be Something needs to change, and we can all agree on that. But what is it going to be? And I'm going to fuck the Islanders because that's always interesting. Um, I don't know, what again, what they can do, but it'll be interesting to see. Dana?
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to agree. I'm going to kill the Wild. That's a situation I don't want to touch. That Cap situation is bad. I don't like it at all, so I don't want to go there. Uh, it feels like they squandered an opportunity, so good luck figuring that out. Mm-hmm. um i will fuck the islanders it's not an ideal situation because of everything but i think that there is a way to try to be creative it would have helped if they were proactive like i don't know the last two years and sold and got some picks back and had some prospects but you know so be it and i'm curious about the lane lambert experience like i rather see a coach like that fail than a recycled coach we knew was going to fail so i kind of want to like i think that could be kind of fun to fix but you have to marry the Jets. That is the most chaotic of all. That is the blow up the situation. <laughs> see what you can do. That is a team that is legitimately never aggressive. So to manage, like, to see where that's going to go, right? That's that's the most intriguing one. Like, they obviously committed to their coaching step, but they're not committing to, like, any of their players. And they have a really tough road to figure out because if they want to rebuild, Connor Hellenbuck is not going to want to stay through that. So it's, like, even yeah. more intrigue.
1: I... I'm going to go for, this has happened three times, I think, in the past couple months. I'm going to agree. We all three agree. I almost said I would fuck the Jets because I almost think it's going to be too painful and stressful. But I do think it's the most compelling situation to watch. I can't with Minnesota. Um, and the Islanders, it'd be more fun, but Lou never tells us anything anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to know till like, and then we're all going to sit there and say all this stuff's happening and then nothing's going to happen. It's just going to be interesting to watch. All right, my friends, that is it for this episode. We made it through eight separate series for Series Await, and we will preview those for you in our next episode. As always, you can follow us on the socials. We're at two underscore much underscore man on both Instagram and Twitter. You can find in the links in our bios and also at too many men merch.com all of our merch, you can wear sweatshirts like Sarah's wearing right now. You can wear hats. You can wear, sw- you can have switch cases. You can even get your very own, oh, there you go. Burn book, stupid Zoom meeting. Wow. With- it's
2: like covert operation. <laughs> <I
1: know. laughs> burn books, all kinds of stuff and wear your Too Many Men gear to the next playoff game or watch party that you go to and send us your vibe check videos. We want to see them. We want to hear from you. We've had one submission of someone wearing some gear at an actual game in Vegas and we love it. So keep those coming as the vibes ramp up, as the pressure mounts in the playoffs. And until we talk again, please do something no matter how big or small. To make sure that hockey truly is for everyone, we will talk to you all soon. Love you. Bye.